0: It's Thursday, August 11th, 2022, I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the science and history of bog butter, still edible butter buried in Irish bogs thousands of years ago, plus the first-ever feature film dubbed entirely in the Comanche language, and more cool takeaways from the latest Predator installment. A Lyme disease vaccine has just entered its final stage of clinical trials, and a new weird coke flavor just dropped. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. At the start of the month, I discussed recent findings that early Europeans were apparently eating and drinking dairy products much earlier than previously believed, well before many of them had developed the enzyme that would allow them to easily digest those dairy products. Of the many theories for how and why these ancient humans consumed dairy products was that they may have decreased the amount of milk sugar by turning it into cheese or butter, thereby still getting the valuable nutrients of the animal product but not getting quite as sick as they would from drinking it straight. A strong piece of evidence we have for people having made butter thousands of years ago is the fairly regular discoveries of technically still edible chunks of millennia-old butter found in peat bogs in Ireland. Throughout the 2000s, workers in the bogs have stumbled on butter dating back 2000, 3000, even 5000 years ago. Why were people putting their butter in the bogs? Why did it stay there? And how the heck is it still pretty much good thousands of years later? Well, bogs, wetlands that accumulate dead plant material like sphagnum moss and end up with a thick layer of peat on the surface, are great natural refrigerators. That thick layer on top keeps out the oxygen, which means mold and other decomposers have nothing to feed on. Quoting a 2006 piece from Slate, the sphagnum moss produces an antibiotic substance called sphagnen that staves off rot in several ways. First, it binds with proteins on the surface of microorganisms in a way that immobilizes them and removes them from the water. Second, its highly reactive carbonyl groups can alter the chemicals and nutrients that would be necessary for the decomposition of a piece of organic matter. And third, the sphagnum moss causes the organic matter to undergo certain chemical changes that make it more impervious to rot, in much the same way that animal skins can be preserved as leather. The peculiar properties of these bogs have made them invaluable archaeological repositories. More than a thousand specimens of well-preserved human remains have been found under beds of peat moss. These bog bodies can retain their key features for thousands of years. In many cases, the chemicals in the bog break down the skeleton and leave only the soft tissue. The tanning reactions from the sphagnum moss give the skin on these remains the characteristic dark brown color. End quote. Slate notes how the most famous bog body found, the Tolland Man, died around 350 BCE, but you can still see the stubble on his chin. I'll put a link in the show notes to a photo if you've never seen it before because it is truly remarkable. He looks more like a hyper-realistic statue than a 2,000-year-old corpse. Brian Collar, who five years ago made some bog butter on his property in Ireland, wrote on his blog at the time, quote, Irish bogs are often misty and mysterious places, where local people would secretly speak their own forbidden language, teach children their faith, poach meat, and occasionally hide things. When farmers later drained areas of bog land, they revealed the reddish ground under the water, thousands of years of compacted sphagnum peat moss pressed into a solid mass. The farmers then scooped out the turf with special shovels, dried them at home, and burned them in the fireplace. And today, machines do the same thing on a vaster scale. Occasionally, they find more than turf. Archaeologists have found ancient necklaces, coins, tools, swords, 1200-year-old prayer books, the remains of Viking settlements, and apparent human sacrifices. End quote and butter. When Coller wrote that five years ago, at least 430 different packages of ancient butter had been found, and some had even been consumed without any ill-health effects. Now, while I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, there was an experiment done back in the 90s that showed meat kept in a peat bog for the better part of a year was comparable in bacteria content to meat kept in a modern freezer for the same period of time. So bogs are pretty remarkable natural refrigerators and preservers, which pretty much answers the question of why people were putting their butter in the bogs back in the day. It's the same reason people built root cellars or kept milk and butter in streams to keep it cool and preserve it for when it was needed. And butter especially was a valuable source of nutrients back then, especially of fat and calories. As for why we continue to find so much ancient butter still left in those bogs, some think that some of the larger unwrapped deposits may have been sacrifices to the gods. It's also likely that some people passed away before getting back to all of their bog butter packages. But Kaller discovered another likely reason when he did his own bog butter experiments. Despite taking great care to wrap his homemade butter in a bright blue rope which he then tied to a nearby tree so he could find the butter and pull it up again a year later, when he first went looking for it that next year, the area had become so overgrown that he couldn't find the rope. He had to go out a second time, retracing his careful steps of 100 paces forward and 100 paces to the right in order to locate it and dig it up. So all these thousand year old packages of butter people keep finding in the bogs of Ireland, many of them were probably ones that people had every intention of digging back up, but just couldn't ever find. So I am sorry to those ancient humans who labored for hours making that butter and weren't able to find it when they needed to, but also, thanks. We get to learn way more about you now and get a little snack as well. Imagine if your favorite casino came with an undo button. That's exactly what you get with FanDuel Casino's Play It Again. Get up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. Play your favorite table games in hundreds of slots for real cash. And see for yourself why FanDuel Casino is the number one rated online casino app. Explore daily and weekly promotions. Play with live dealers. And if you ever have a question, our best-in-class customer support team is here to help 24-7. Sign up for FanDuel Casino at fanduel.com slash PA3 today and play it again with up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. 21 plus and present in Pennsylvania must not have previously placed a any wager on FanDuel Sportsbook, FanDuel Casino, Betfair Casino, Mohegan Sun Casino, or Stardust Casino. Refund issued as non-withdrawable casino online site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. So I watched the latest Predator installment, Prey, last night, and I'm not even much of a Predator fan, and dude, Prey was so good. I don't seem to be alone in this assessment either. CBR is calling it the Predator franchise's most critically acclaimed movie, with extremely positive reviews rolling in and currently sitting at the highest Rotten Tomatoes ranking of any of the other films, at 92%. The next closest is the original 1987 film, a full 12 percentage points behind. Prey also broke Hulu's record, becoming the platform's biggest premiere to date for both movie and TV, which means that it broke the record set by the Kardashians' season debut in April. And it is all definitely well-deserved. Amber Midthunder stars as a young Comanche woman named Naru in 1719 who longs to prove herself as a hunter, and gets an opportunity to do just that when the titular predator is spotted nearby. Mid-Thunder does a heck of a job in this role, and it's just so cool to see a young woman and a Native American woman at that starring as an action hero, not to mention having this movie so effectively told from the Native American perspective. With a predominantly Native American cast and produced by Comanche and Blackfeet tribal member Jane Myers, Mid-Thunder has described the movie as refreshingly accurate and respectful representation. And it is the first feature film to be entirely dubbed in the Comanche language. On Hulu, you can watch the movie in English, Spanish, or Comanche. And Myers told Vulture that director Dan Trachenberg's original vision for the movie was for the entire thing to be in Comanche. All of the dialogue in Comanche. And after it was decided against that, having most of the cast speak English instead, some of the Comanche dialogue was retained with subtitles and the studio then suggested doing the full dub. More and more films are beginning to get indigenous language dubs. A Fistful of Dollars, Star Wars Episode Four, and Finding Nemo have all been dubbed in Navajo, and Moana and The Lion King have both recently been dubbed into Reo Mari. All efforts to help preserve and teach the languages to upcoming generations. Though Myers says that Prey was a bit more difficult, because it was still in production while they were working on the dub, whereas those others had been released for years or decades with ample transcripts and other translations to pull from. Prey was still being completed, and no Comanche dubs for entire films had ever been done before. Fortunately, after test screenings with several Comanche organizations and the Tribal Council, the Comanche Language Department reached out to assist with the dub. And another thing the Prey production had going for them was that they already had their cast— For those dubs of older movies, they had to reach out and find Navajo and Maori performers, ideally ones at least a little familiar with the language, and go through a whole casting process over again. Because the Prey cast was mostly native already, and the actors had auditioned in both English and Comanche, most of them were willing to reprise their roles for the dub. And now, with the dub complete and easily accessible for audiences on Hulu, Myers is excited to get the hard data back. Hulu will be able to see how many people clicked on the Comanche dub, how many people watched the dub all the way through. It'll provide Myers with concrete numbers to show studios in the future to indicate interest. She told Vulture, quote, this industry doesn't really cater to native people and native audiences. And they don't think there's an audience for native content overall because we're like 1% of the population of the world. But now with Hulu, we have access to some amazing numbers that help prove a point. The world has access to hear what the Comanche language sounds like, and that's never been done. I think it really helps future films because people will be like, hey, let the Sioux speak their language, let the Lakota speak their language, let the Iowa speak their language. That language component is now going to be a real possibility. To me, it's history making. End quote. It really is. And Prey is just such a cool movie on top of all of that. I will leave you with just two more Prey things here. First, if you were thinking about watching it, this is a predator movie, so it's gory. It's also an 18th century hunting movie. Animals get hurt. To not give you any more spoilers, but allow you the content warnings you might want, I'm going to link to the prey page on doesthedogdie.com in the show notes. Second, Gizmodo has discovered that the six foot eight actor who played the new predator, Dane DeLiegro, is also a food vlogger. His 12 videos posted a few years ago only garnered him 600 subscribers, but they are seriously well done. High production value camera shots, on location tours of real Tuscan restaurants, which all starts making sense when you find out he wasn't looking for social media fame, but creating a reel to pitch to producers so that he could get his own TV show as the next Anthony Bourdain. Deliegro played college basketball and professionally in Europe, but always harbored dreams of having his own culinary travel show. And while trying to make inroads there, he got advice from a stunt coordinator to start going out for monster roles, utilizing his extraordinary height behind pounds of prosthetics. And after getting his feet wet with gigs on The Walking Dead and American Horror Story, he landed the Predator role. And while it sounds like he takes every monster role very seriously and wants people to know how much thought and direction really goes into it, he also told the New York Times in a recent interview, quote, someday I hope to play a human too, end quote. Whew, so much behind those words. You can catch DiLiego as the Predator in Prey, as well as Amber Mid-Thunder as Naru on Hulu now. Or if you're outside of the US, it's slightly disconcertingly streaming on Disney+. Plus. A Lyme disease vaccine is in its final phase of clinical trials, giving it a very good shot of becoming the only available human vaccine in the US for the tick-borne disease. It will, of course, still have to complete this phase, and the drug makers say they wouldn't be seeking official authorization until 2025, so we are a ways off yet, but possibly on the verge of a very important breakthrough. Quoting NPR, the new vaccine is called VLA-15, and as of this week, it's now in the third phase of a clinical study in humans. It was created by Pfizer and French drug maker Valneva. U.S. consumers once had access to a human Lyme disease vaccine called Lymerix, but it was withdrawn from the market 20 years ago. The vaccine had a fairly high efficacy, but some users blamed it for adverse reactions, including arthritis. As the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases notes, analysis by the FDA and others did not support that conclusion, but use of the vaccine plummeted, leading to it being discontinued. There is, however, a vaccine on the U.S. market for dogs end quote. This phase three trial includes 6,000 participants, some as young as five years old, and all of whom live in locations where Lyme disease is highly endemic. Like Robert Terwilliger, an outdoorsman from central Pennsylvania, who said he's seen a lot of friends get sick from Lyme disease and would love to free himself from constantly worrying about each tick. According to the CDC, some 476,000 people in the U.S. are treated for Lyme disease each year. An early antibiotic treatment is crucial. If untreated, it can cause severe arthritis and damage to the heart and nervous system. But it can be tough for people to know that they need treatment, when some tick bites can be as small as a pinprick. Usually, though, you do see a red bullseye-shaped rash and experience fatigue, fever, and joint pain. Quoting the Associated Press, most vaccines against other diseases work after people are exposed to a germ. The Lyme vaccine offers a different strategy, working a step earlier to block a tick bite from transmitting the infection, said Dr. Gary Wormser, a Lyme expert at New York Medical College who isn't involved with the new research. How does it do this? It targets an outer surface protein of the Lyme bacterium called OspA that's present in the tick's gut. It's estimated a tick must feed on someone for about 36 hours before the bacteria spreads to its victim. That delay gives time for antibodies the tick ingests from a vaccinated person's blood to attack the germs right at the source end quote. This vaccine will come in four total doses, three between now and the spring for these participants, and then a booster one year later. In early stage studies, the drug makers reported no safety problems and a good immune response, per AP. And according to AP, there are a few other Lyme disease preventions in development, another vaccine from Yale, and shots of pre-made Lyme-fighting antibodies from the University of Massachusetts. This has become my favorite kind of news lately. Another weird Coca-Cola flavor just dropped. Following Coca-Cola Bite and Coca-Cola Starlight, pixel-flavored and space-flavored, respectively. The company has just announced Coca-Cola Dream World. Like its predecessors, you won't get any straight answer from the soda makers about its flavor. A spokesperson described it as, quote, we wanted to create a dream-inspired drink that was recognizably Coca-Cola, but with additional cues that bring to life the playfulness and brightness of dreams. We took inspiration from the Technicolor world of dreams, adding a dash of vibrant flavors to our great Coca-Cola taste, end quote. The press release is laden with references to Gen Z and what they apparently want, which according to Coke is quote relevant content and collaborations that matter to them end quote. Bottles of Dreamworld will therefore come with QR codes that give people access to the Coca-Cola Creations Hub, which features an AR music experience, fashion collection downloads for the metaverse, and more. Okay, Coke. As my friend Bo pointed out, it's kind of disappointing that a soda flavor called Dream World dropping at this particular moment isn't a promotional tie-in with Netflix's Sandman series. I mean, come on, Coke, didn't you just say that Gen Z likes their collaborations? Regardless, I continue to love these concept over flavor products from Coca-Cola, and while I'm not jumping out of my seat to try DreamWorld, I am going to make it a point to have some Coca-Cola Starlight on hand for the Artemis launch later this month. I mean, I've got to, right? Well, that's going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.